Welcome back to Anime Death Spiral, the only anime podcast with a real cat girl on staff. Yep, cat girls are real and they are unionized. <laughs> we pay her quite a bit. Yes, uh, yeah, she does all the research for the podcast. That's why we're so uh, correct about everything we say. Really informed. <laughs> we have a very robust uh, data analytics department, yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah, those are all the cat boys, though. <laughs> Not quite as rowdy. Yeah. <laughs> Once again, we're back. I'm Nate. You're whoever. Doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Uh, You've been doing any anime? Oh, man, anime, anime. Oh, yes, those cartoons yeah. for adults. You know, those cartoons that weirdo adults watch? The weird... Uh, adultish cartoons uh, made for adults. Yeah, with all the the sex and violence. Um, Let's not be hasty with the term "adult" <laughs> here. <laughs> uh, they are made for for an age range that would be considered adults. Sure. I turn on my anime and I whisper to myself, "I'm adulting. I'm adulting oh right now." I don't like that term. Please stop saying that. I don't like that term. I'm doing my adulting right now. No, I hate that term too. I really really do not like it it, it has a weird uh in, infantilization connotation it does it's it's not even a connotation it is di- directly infantilizing yourself i feel <laughs> like uh maybe this is a generational thing but uh i i feel like i got infantilized quite a lot as i was growing up i really don't need to also internalize it and do it to myself i'm i'm really sick of it actually i would like to not be infantilized uh at every turn so let's instead uh, uh, talk about these cartoons for grown-ups. Yeah, inst- yeah instead let's talk about cartoons. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know. I ha- I haven't, honestly, I haven't watched much besides the bigs. I watched another episode of Pluto, obviously. Still fucking great. That's episode two? Episode two. Fucking great. Fucking great. It's just... Mm. Yeah, I'll get around to watching that pretty soon these days. You've really got to get on it. Yeah. I'm serious. Yeah. Like it is really good. I am in. I am on top of that juju, though. I am. I'm right on the edge of my seat. In that Shibuya arc. I'm again. I know. I say it every time, but like we are inching towards the the big event, and I have. I've been forced to watch every episode through my fingers in horrible anticipation. Uh, I'm getting like really, really tense every time we put on an episode. Oh, that is just filling me with so much dread every time you bring that up. Yeah. Well, I said at the beginning of this season, hey, that's funny. Uh, (laughs) We start every 20 minutes with a funeral procession. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Huh. That's weird. You know, what's funny is Spy Family kicked off the boat arc that I had been talking about. Yeah. Though this whole time. Yeah, we brought that up briefly last episode. They're on the boat now. This is a weird period for Spy Family because uh <laughs> like Jujutsu Kaisen, there's suddenly going to be a huge ramp up in death. Uh, <laughs> I was wondering, like... I Spy Family is one of those shows that I've not been reading the manga. I am I'm a show only uh, so far. A shownly. A shownly. It's been one of those shows where I thought the prem based on the premise it was going to be a lot more leaning into the the darker, violent stuff with the spies and the assassins and, and all that and the political intrigue. Yeah. Uh, but for a while, at least, it really leans into like being a fun little 
uh, gag comic about about a family just doing like regular shit. Well, I mean, that that is what it is. I mean, that is the heart of it. I was saying that I was surprised that it ended up being that. It wasn't what I expected going in blind, you know, just knowing the premise, right? Sure. And I like that. I mean, we end up we end up doing a lot of Anya stuff. Yeah. Right. Well, because Anya is is the best is the best character. Anya is is uh, uh, Gen Z Pikachu. <laughs> She is, I mean, immediately adorable. Like, it takes, like, a really fucked up kind of person to not look at Anya and be like, oh, that's really cute. Uh, you'd have to be some kind of horrible monster. But We know they're out there. You know, monsters exist. Yeah. <laughs> you horrible, horrible freaks. But we are now at the part where the author clearly agreed with you, right? And actually, uh, yours character kind of agrees with you. And so we're now, like, entering the part where it's like, we need to reassert the premise yeah, really hard. Well, because they go real hard with establishing their reputations, both of their reputations, Yoran and Lloyd, in the, in the first chapter. And it's kind of like the gag is it starts off serious and then immediately goes in to the funny Anya stuff. Yeah. Uh, and, and being a family. And, you know, doing wacky adventures with the informant and, and all that. I will say, um, every time Yuri's story comes back up, that is uh, a, less, uh, a less explosive, much more subtle um, introduction of, like, true darkness. Cause, uh, oh, yeah, <laughs> Yuri is the worst character. I hate him. He is, he is, like, I mean, his gag is whatever, like, the whole, he's, he's doing true evil because he cares about his sister, right? Mm -hmm. But Like, that's an excuse. One of the things I find fascinating about Spy Family is the insidious nature uh, of the way it portrays the, the, the subtlety of the conflict between East and West. You know, because Lloyd is from the West and we mm -hmm. never directly see the West. So we don't really know anything about it except for what Lloyd says. He's he's a Western spy in what is essentially East Berlin. That is a very loose version of it. Yeah. yeah. But we are we are constantly led away from the, uh, the more simplistic version of that. And given, like, a lot of room for our own interpretation, much, much more than you'd think the, uh, a fucking gag manga would ever give you. So when Yuri, who is this horrible secret police officer, is wandering around talking about how he's protecting the East from the horrible Western gremlins, it's never portrayed as explicitly evil. Yeah. Which is a really interesting choice because it, he he is wrong. Uh, for context, Yuri is, you know, base, he's a Gestapo agent. You know, he's, 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 he's secret yeah, police. He, he's he's a secret police. He's an intelligence officer, a counterintelligence officer. Yeah. And, and he's a true believer on top of that. Yes. Yeah. And he does things very explicitly, like in the last episode, where he literally arrests someone for publishing political propaganda. Yeah. And and not just arrests, but like tortures. And he likes uh, this it. Person. He talks about how he likes it. <laughs> yeah. But he is never, we are always given the room to like interpret him in a softer way. And I think that's like, that is a really fascinating and underexplored aspect of Spy Family. Well, Yor and Yuri are are pretty explicitly like they were 
orphan childrens that have been raised up in separate cults of of personality well uh, with the assassin guild and then your yuri doing the secret police stuff the what, what are they in skyrim the dark hand the the dark brotherhood the dark brotherhood it is like come on uninspired like think yeah. think of something come on you guys well okay the thing about spy Todd. family is that they are all war orphans lloyd yeah. is a war orphan anya is a war orphan your and yuri are both war orphans they don't bring it up a lot uh, which is, again, something I like. I like that they never press those, like, I hate to say it, uh, uh, big scare quotes, uh, world-building details. Mm-hmm. But I really like that that thing, that horrible thing that happened to all of them and to both of these countries that has essentially traumatized the entire civilian population is just sitting, looming in the background constantly uh, of a very cute, like, wholesome uh, gag comedy right yeah i think that's like a really cool weird element of spy family well i think that's probably one of the most popular like elements or one of the biggest elements that makes spy family popular right uh is that dichotomy of of the content versus the the cutesy gag nature well there's there's versions of this where it is just straight up like james bond parody stuff you know yeah well i mean like the 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 bond man character yes, that the bond man and and the dog named bond like yeah. it's there i just really like that i love i love spy family so much and i do i love spy family i'm really excited to get uh through this this boat thing and and there is i hate to spoil it for you no i don't but we do get one of the extremely rare uh, Lloyd backstory moments just a little bit after Boat, which is really cool. And okay. Great, and I'm really excited for it. Uh, but other than that, I haven't really watched that much. I've been actually putting off watching some of the other stuff I have like on my list, too, because I've been playing so much Alan Wake. Oh, you're one of those Alan Woke guys. Well, we, we have had like a weird parallelism because you started playing Alan Wake 1, and I started playing Alan Wake 2. Like, right at the same time? Yeah, weirdly at the same time without, like, coordinating that. Yeah. And I had never played Alan Wake 1. Really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, never. I don't even know what happens in Alan Wake 1. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so it I mean, it's, it very it's strange. you know, Alan, Alan uh, goes to a lake, uh, and, and he loses his wife, and he tries to find his wife, and uh, there's some some darkness, and he shines a flashlight at people. You know how it goes. Yeah, he kills a lot of innocent people. He kills a lot of people. If we're taking the interpretation that it was that he's a crazy man, <laughs> he's not a crazy man. He's not crazy, and he's not a man. He's a writer, a subhuman. <laughs> uh, I love video games as as they progress in this way, where like we are supposed to take them uh, more and more at their word. Where characters still just butcher people, just obliterate massive amounts of human beings. Ah, uh, yes, the, uh, the yes, dreaded I know, Ludo, the, the Ludo narrative, narrative dissonance. dissonance. But the fact that a character doesn't even comment on the fact that they are, like, just eviscerating an entire town's worth I of I mean, people. to be fair, Alan does comment on it, like, constantly. He says, oh, this is fucked up. I, part of the plot of the first game is that he is being pursued by the FBI 
uh, under suspicion for for murdering all of these people. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, Agent uh, Nightingale. Yes, right? yep. Yes, yeah, that dude. The, the Twin Peaks references, like, subtlety has never been Sam Lake's forte, I'll say, but, like... At a certain point, you cross over into plagiarism territory. <laughs> well, name-dropping Stephen King is very funny. The first game starts with a Stephen King quote. Yeah, which is crazy. I did mention this to you. I had always thought it was more of like he was a, a Stephen King, but then I found out he just kind of writes crime novels. Yeah. He writes the Max Payne games, basically. No, he's not Stephen King. He's Stephen King's writer insert in a Stephen King story. Yeah, sort of. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but then I'm playing through Alan Wake 2, and there are lots of moments where we are, like, hearing the stories being narrated to us. There's lots of narration. Mm -hmm. And whoever is writing it has aped Stephen King's style so perfectly that I, I kind of have to, like, give it up. Like, they're doing a really good job an incredible Stephen King impersonation. In two years, we're going to find that they generated all of that dialogue by feeding all of Stephen's books into an AI. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty against AIs uh, creating our art for us, but I have to say, <laughs> considering the sharp turn Stephen took in his uh, uh, subject matter, like mid to late 90s and into the 2000s, I, I would take it. I would take it. Uh, I, I don't want to. I don't want any more books about fucking j saving JFK or like terrible his terrible crime novel shit. Even the even the sci-fi stuff. I'm I'm not really that big of a fan. It'd take back those last three books of the Dark Tower. Uh, it's, that's a that's a mixed bag. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I I, I did watch uh, a couple episodes of Under Ninja. Okay. Uh, we may or may not have talked about that, but uh, tell me, tell me about Under Ninja. Well, we definitely talked about it when we were doing uh, fall pre impressions. Yeah, that's the one about the uh, like post World War Two uh, Japan basically has an export ninja industry, right? Well, it's like after World War Two with the fall of Imperial Japan, the uh, official. A nationalized ninja system was forced to go underground, according to this anime, but has been maintained to modern times. So technically, according to the show, there are like 200,000 active duty ninjas in Japan at all times who are just in sleeper cells waiting to be activated by... Who? I, I don't know. The uh, Charlie from Charlie's Angels. Uh, well, presumably someone in the government. Uh, you would like to hope. You would hope that it's someone in the government. Well, who else would do it? I mean, there's not really. I mean, I know there's remnants of like a royal family, but like not really. Uh, I don't know. Maybe there's a faction of ninjas that uh, got fed up waiting for their sleeper cell activation. And so they're like uh, Yakuza ninjas. I'm just spitballing. <laughs> you. Yakuza ninjas. Yeah, that is a Takashi Miike movie right there. <laughs> Hell yeah! Uh, <laughs> ninja, ninja Yakuza apocalypse. I think we dissed it pretty hard when we were talking about it, uh, and so I was really reticent to like jump in there. But a fool is me. Oh, yet again, I've made an ass of myself. You're you're gonna turn back on your opinion? Yes, my, my assumptions were again incorrect. I I should have been more open minded as always. 
because uh, the first episode basically starts with this fucking neat just fucking around in his shitty little apartment waiting for assignments and he basically spends his days complaining about how he never has anything to do and how he's uh, the lowest rung of ninja and and how he, he'd rather just like do something else but you're not allowed to leave ninja dumb they'll just kill you if you want to quit oh that makes sense yeah yeah so you're forced i don't know if you've ever heard about uh, what happens in in teachers unions to teachers who uh, lose their jobs but aren't um, disciplined by uh-huh. the union, I suppose, where they end up essentially in these like in between like liminal spaces where they just go to an empty room and sit there all day instead of teaching because technically they're still employed, but they're not allowed to do anything. That's a very weird story. You sh- if you're curious about that stuff, you should go look it up because, man, it's fucking weird. Listen, everything I know about teachers' unions I learned from The Simpsons. <laughs> teachers' unions... Let me be clear. Teachers' unions are good. Oh, yeah. I Unequivocally, I support teachers' unions. I'm just saying this one particular aspect of them is extremely weird. But this kid has found himself in the rubber room, essentially. He doesn't get any work, so he doesn't have any money, so he's living essentially in poverty, but he can't do anything about it, so he's just fucking around. He's, like, not doing anything with his life, he's not doing anything with his days, he's just, he steals his neighbor's beer every once in a while, and that's, like, the most exciting his life gets, until uh, a character, this, like, FedEx guy shows up and he's like, I don't really know what the deal is. I don't have any orders for you, but here's a box that some mysterious guy sent to you. Uh, I hope it gives you something to do with your time. That's a weird thing for a FedEx delivery guy to say. Well, he's a well. Hold on, he's a ninja FedEx delivery guy. Oh, okay. Yeah, and we know this because he just enters the apartment uh, without our main dude noticing, and he goes, oh, "He got behind me so fast. He must be a ninja." That. Uh, <laughs> really speaks to the quality of his own ninja skills rather than the guy sneaking into his apartment yeah and i will say i've watched a few episodes now and it is never made clear whether our main character is actually like good at being a ninja which is one of the parts i really like about it i watched at least three episodes where no fighting occurred none at all no violence uh which is pretty rare for an anime about ninjas battling i mean i like that you know i i like when the premise gives itself time to kind of like uh, grow at its own pace, especially with yeah. something like this. I don't think that it necessarily has to be action focused. I think it's better uh, when you treat it more like a uh, like a story about a dude who hates his job. Yeah, and that's very much what it is. It's this guy who sits at the the bottom rung of his industry. He has no prospects, no way to advance his career because. What are you going to do? You're a ninja. You can't go freelance. You just sit around waiting to do what you're told. And his life sucks, and he doesn't like doing it. I mean, is is that addressed within ninja society? Like, if you're not allowed to leave, do they just, like, force these dudes to starve to death inside their apartments? Is that just how it works? No, they don't starve to death, but they become, like, shut-ins. They're, they, they give barely enough service like social services to like live in their shitty apartments they just have to have subsistence living basically but they're they're not allowed to leave and like go get other jobs or or make their own money 
in other ways? No, because they have to they have to be able to take uh, jobs at literally a moment's notice, and they also have to maintain cover identities if they go out into the world. So the more that they are seen as themselves, the less opportunity they're going to get to work, right? So they have to hide all the time. <laughs> really shitty situation. Yeah, right? it seems like a bad setup. I uh, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't. I w- I would not choose uh, to be in that situation. Let me tell no. you what. And I I do wonder how one becomes a ninja in this in this setting. Uh, I can't wait to find out. Because uh, this show, well, it sounds is, like something you're born into. I I guess I guess you'd have to be right. I don't know. I don't know how they recruit, but maybe that'll get addressed. I I'm excited to see if it does because honestly, this show completely, like I said, blew away all my expectations. It is like weird in a great way. It's uh I I'm I'm really excited to see where it goes. I'm just I do dread that it does like devolve into a very generic shonen because it still has that potential it is still about i mean that's the that's the fear of any new new anime that we get into right is that it's going to devolve into just kind of its base components and no longer be be interesting yeah Uh, abandoning the premise is is one of the cardinal sins we keep talking about it and we just talked about it in spy family like that's you know it's very easy to just like deteriorate after any interesting thing happens in your story and just like go back to base elements uh so my fingers are crossed well we can only hope for the best uh can i tell you about something that has no redeeming qualities (laughs) you mean anime yeah tell me about some anime all right well uh i watched berserk oh shit of gluttony. Oh, of gluttony. Berserk of gluttony. That doesn't sound good at all. No, uh, that is possibly one of the worst titles that I've come across uh, recently. Yeah, why Why is it called that? I don't know. <laughs> it's not addressed in the first episode? I can only surmise the meaning, but let me let me start you with the premise here. Um, so we have a, a dragon quest, basically. Uh, okay. Which, again, people, uh, we're sorry. We're sorry for our opinions expressed in the previous episode. Stop, Please don't don't even bring it back up. Don't even bring it up. We have to address the death threats. I'm getting them. Oh my god. I just ignore it. I don't I cannot do this again. <laughs> uh, no, we have we have your standard Dragon Quest fantasy world. And it's again, it's doing that thing where it's not explicitly a video game. At least I don't think so. It's not an isekai, but it is a fantasy world where the characters, the people living in the world, explicitly talk about it in video game terms. Yeah. Like gaining experience and levels and stuff like that. Right, right. But it is not a, it is not a game being played by anyone. This is just a world that has been systematized as if it was a video game. Exactly. And so yeah, within yeah. that framework, they they do that thing where everybody is born with like their one unique quality, right? Oh, yes. And more fucking bloodlines shit that I hate so much. Exactly. Yeah. And so our main character who lot of great names in this show i will say yeah his name uh our main character's name is fate graphite <laughs> <What>? yeah 
<laughs> that's pretty good. Oh, that's funny. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, like a mechanical pencil. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. You know, he's a loser with with no money. What? Yeah. He's a loser with no money. But his name's Fate. Apparently, he had to wait a while for to live up to the name. Okay, probably fourteen to sixteen years. No, he's a he's a lowly nobody, like Aaron boy who works for one of the big shot noble houses uh-huh. uh, in this this city state that they live in, and and his like one unique quality that he was born with, which okay, and this is again. I'm really wondering if they are going to just reveal that it is like a video game being played. Yeah. Because it seems that the context with the unique quality stuff is that everybody seems to be able to kind of go into a like inward meditative state that is analogous to like a a character menu okay okay this is yes so they have a status window basically right an internal status window it's not literally in front of them like in other like isekai stuff right but they they you know their internal thoughts are visualized as a status window (laughs) yeah so this is kind of funny because i i don't know if we talked about this ever but this is like a specific subgenre of the dragon quest fantasy slash uh, intruding into the isekai as well is is the status window fantasy because mm-hmm. uh, this is its own thing like it yeah. is this exists it has its own life across other things especially uh like korean manhwa is like really into this you see it a lot in stuff like solo leveling or like skeleton soldier couldn't protect the dungeon is all about uh, the status window rpg kind of thing uh there's one i saw called um like uh, cooking in in another world with my one weird skill, uh, <laughs> where where his weird skill is that he can summon like an Amazon groceries status window. Oh yeah, right, uh, right and right. pull in like food wherever he is. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, cool, dude, cool. Mm-hmm. What a great power. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, so so back to fate graphite. Yes, please bring <laughs> us back to fate graphite. Uh, uh, his one weird skill is gluttony. Uh, whatever that means. Oh, God. Uh, in, in the anime, it seems to mean that he's just always hungry. Yeah. Which sucks. Uh, that is kind <laughs> of like a like Greek tragedy torturous punishment of an existence. Yeah. I'm, to always be hungry no matter how much you eat. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that shows up in Dante's Inferno. Yeah. <laughs> like, that is one of the rings. It's like truly hellish. And so he works for this noble family and... You know, the three noble knights, uh, which are also siblings, I think. Cool. Uh, I think someone said that they were siblings at one point. Uh, they're basically like, they're the mean the mean girl clique. They're the, the mean hero clique. The stepsisters. Yeah. Evil stepsisters. So we have a leader and, and his two, his brother and his sister that are like his underlings. Gotcha. And they're like the three hotshot heroes in this city. And then his fairy godmother shows up and takes him to the ball. But kinda, kinda, uh, because, cool. well, so they do like the classic anime bullying stuff to him. Right. 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 Uh, and then they carve, they carve, kill yourself into his desk. Yeah. Basically <laughs> they push him down into, into horse dung. Yeah. They put trash in his shoes. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, he's, he just kind of lives a, a shitty existence of a life until, he like kind of makes friends with another knight from one of the other noble houses 
what I'm assuming is going to be the female, like, romantic lead character that he crushes on for the rest of the series. Oh, okay. Uh, and her name is uh, Roxy Hearts. Uh, what? Yeah. Like, like from Chicago? Yeah, like from Chicago. Does she, does she look like Roxy? No, no. She's like a, a blonde anime chick. That's what? That's so weird. Yeah, yeah. I, I have to wonder if the author is just like really into Chicago when, when he was writing these characters. I'm assuming that this is one of those ones that's based off a light novel. I'd have to look into it, but it feels very yeah. light novel to me. That actually supports your theory about it pulling back at some point to be a video game, because that is like something like, oh, I can't think of a good username. Uh, oh, I watched Chicago the other night. I'm just going to use Roxy Hart. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, that's what I thought, but they these characters are portrayed as like living and existing in this world full time. Yeah, yeah. So I I don't know what they're what they're going for here. It's really fucking weird. So anyway, she like kind of comes in and is like, hey, eh, don't let those bullies get you down. Uh, I, I've seen you work around town. You do good stuff. You're a good kid. Why don't you come work for my family? We're the cool rich people. <laughs> oh, yeah. The benevolent lords. Yeah. yeah. And so later that night, she asks him to accompany her uh, while she does some guard work and he spots some thieves and you know alerts her to their presence she goes off to i don't know brutally murder uh some some shadowy figures in the city yeah butcher some poor people yeah (laughs) and and he stays behind to guard whatever it is they were guarding and he he kills one of the thieves with his flag basically he's a standard bearer most of the time that's like his job oh he's holding a big flagpole yeah but it has like a spear tip at the top oh great cool uh, and so he finally gets a chance and he earns an experience point. His first experience point. Just one? Yeah. Wait, he, he gets one XP? For for killing an already injured thief, yeah. He only got pickup XP for an assist. At only one, though? Man, that's... It's not a great return. Jeez, but that sucks. Uh, it's enough to activate the true power of his gluttony quality. Uh, which is actually super rare and and one of the forbidden <laughs> devil qualities. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Yes, of course. Yeah. And, and what it does is uh, three things. It gives him telepathy. What? On anybody that he's touching for some reason. <laughs> what? Yeah. Not sure. They haven't explained the thematic uh, reasoning for that power. But he discovers that anybody that he's making physical contact with, he can read their thoughts. Wow. He gets uh, what he gets scan or identify. Basically, he can see uh, enemy and weapon stats. <laughs> what? Yeah. Oh my god. So again, uh, more evidence towards the video game theory. Wow. And and finally, the true power of gluttony is that when he kills enemies. He at, can convert experience points directly into like raw stat increases instead of waiting for a level up like point. What? Yeah, I mean it, so it makes sense. He can level up with every single XP. Exactly. It's so instead of accumulating experience and leveling up after a certain threshold. 
he can uh, basically one XP translates into one direct stat increase. Okay, well, what are these? What are these stats looking like? Are we on a? Are we on a, a one to a hundred scale? That's or? the best part. I don't know what the stats are because every time the menu comes up, all of them are represented in like weird nonsense fantasy language (laughs) what they don't show you he just says like he just says oh hey my stats are going up oh my god that sucks so much he he mentions vitality at one point and strength oh Oh, i don't like the sound of that yeah uh so this is this is always a weird sticking point for me is like this is a world where you only get experience from killing human beings no no uh he actually he gets most of his once he discovers what his power is he goes and kills a hundred goblins i'm not kidding with that number they say it explicitly he says oh hey i just killed a hundred goblins but do goblins not count as like sent a sentient race Mm, i mean short answer no well, then why does he not get XP every time he crushes an ant or a cockroach or, like, eats a chicken or whatever? Well, that's a, a good question that is yet to be answered. I mean, this the obvious one is that it's a video game, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's been systematized in a way to uh, At this point, encourage- it's, it's so obvious that that's what they're doing. I would be incredibly disappointed if they explicitly pointed out yeah i want them to try and maintain this like some semblance of a veil for for that through this thing yeah just play it completely straight faced like yeah no that's like that's not the game narrator that is talking about the stats that's god god is (laughs) god created (laughs) dragon quest as a universe yeah and you just have to live in it uh yeah the thing about that is it's it, in a in a very existential way like the metaphysical way uh it necessitates the existence of goblins because an experience system like that logically would drive all rational human beings into non-stop mass murder right mm-hmm. it would be a world where peace is never attainable because power comes directly from murder that would be even more hellish than being always hungry this would be one of the worst possible things that could ever happen i mean that's what saiyan society in dragon ball z is right yeah sort like, of that's yeah. why their planet got <laughs> yeah. blown up because they yeah. had no no society because they were all fighting each other all the time. Yeah, because they were super fighters. Yeah. Yeah, but they were just about, like, who's stronger. I'm talking about a society that is literally, like, systematically organized around murder. Not fighting, <laughs> but the taking of human life. It doesn't matter how you kill or, or how you do it to get the experience. It just, upon death, you get experience from whatever you yes. killed. In fact, I'm imagining that there would be people who, um, much like a veal or pate, would keep uh, prisoners and slowly feed them items and XP until they are worth enough to make their murder <laughs> like, worth taking. Oh, that's dark. It's extraordinarily dark. I, you know, I don't want to be the cinema sins guy, but like a world which. Uh, incentivizes on like a, a a literal like physical level 
the the absolute annihilation of all life. I mean, that is the most horrifying thing anyone could ever imagine. Well, I mean, that's basically that's basically what we're doing in our co-op game of Baldur's Gate right now, right? <laughs> yes, yes, it is. <laughs> uh, except at least at Baldur's Gate, you can get XP from, like, discovering new places or talking to people or whatever. You don't have to kill every single person. I mean, a system like that produces, in the end, a being akin to... Uh, Galactus, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. Or, or, or Unicron, just a devouring force that travels across the universe, acquiring more experience. Yes, essentially. And requiring, like, uh, greater, greater levels of death and destruction each time. I mean, it really ends up being, like, you know, the comic version of Thanos, where you are just the bringer of death for death's sake i mean the this would all really be solved if they just patched in uh scaled leveling for npcs in the universe <laughs> <laughs> well i mean this is why they put the goblins in clearly yeah and so you have something to genocide that you don't feel <laughs> as bad about because imagine if he, they were no goblins and episode one is about him going to a refugee camp and killing a hundred refugees and going out and being like, I'm still the good guy, though. And, and the show is very iffy on how sentient it wants the goblins to be because they don't ever it, they're never portrayed as speaking with language, but they yeah. are smart enough to, like, set up ambushes and use, like, signals on when to attack. Yes, like so uh, this... <laughs> caravans and stuff. Yes, the absolutely, like, most racist elements of fantasy are ported directly into this. Yeah. System. Oh yeah. The, the, yeah. The uh, the oh, lower yeah. savage, right? The fucking like heart of darkness shit. You know. Uh huh. It's truly like jaw droppingly awful. <laughs> if you think about it for even one second. And so, so it, well, it doesn't stop there with this with this kid. That's only part one. Yeah. So he's got great stats now because he did. He went out and and did a little genocide. Uh, sure. And sure. Again, his his special forbidden power lets him uh, basically super level, right? Uh-huh. But he doesn't have any money now. Uh, still no money. Oh, they don't drop loot? Nope. At least not the goblins. Wow. Well, actually, that's not true. They address that later. So <laughs> he goes... Actually, I got ahead of myself. Before he went and genocided the goblins... He used his identify power to go to a weapon shop... And it was like, hey, I've got two pennies. Like, what can I buy? And they're like, hey, get out of here, kid. You're trash. Like, we don't want poor people in our shop. What, they don't, they don't have hard tack? Well, that's... So he's like, actually, wait, hold on. Uh, if you want to buy something, all you can afford is that barrel over there that has all the trash weapons, right? Yeah. And so he goes over and he uses his new identify power on the trash weapons. Oh, no. And oh, he's, like, no. going through. He's like, oh, wow, these all suck. No. Oh, what do you what do you think is going to happen? What are you no, expecting right no, now? No, don't tell me. Please don't tell me he finds the legendary weapon <sighs> that's all rusty and shit. Please don't tell me that's what happens. <laughs> that's exactly what happens. Oh, I uh, hate this. It's even more than that. It's not only a legendary weapon. It's sentient. <laughs> How did nobody notice this? I... I you're asking me. Uh, he says, uh, like, oh, wow, uh, this has decent stats, but it's unloved. 
And then the sword starts talking to him. And the sword immediately... I hate this so much. <laughs> the, the sword <laughs> acts basically as the... Um, not narrator, but, you know, the... The spirit guide? The explainer. The lore dump? The lore dump, thank you. And so uh, he finds the sentient sword, whose name is Greed. Oh, fuck. Uh, seeing, seeing a pattern there. Yeah, this is becoming more odious by the second yeah and so the the sword is the one who tells him about his new gluttony power leveling like like stat consuming power oh yeah of course and so he's like all right so now what you got to do is you have to go out and kill a bunch of goblins right uh and then that'll raise your stats and so he does what the store the sword tells him to do uh, he's like, all right, now uh, you got to cut off all their ears and bring them to the Adventurers Guild so we can get some money. Jesus Christ! Yeah, it's brutal. That's fucking awful. Hey, do you want to know? Do you want to know how much money he gets from a hundred goblin ears? What, like twenty bucks? Well, I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know what to, what the exchange rate is, but he gets two silver and eighty copper. So I'm just going to say uh, $2.80. Well, okay, so you can buy a rusty sword with two cents, right? That's yeah. what you said? Yeah. Okay, so we can kind of calculate from there. Like, you know, how much can you buy scrap metal for right now? Rusty piece of metal, you know, you, you could probably buy that for like 10 bucks. Okay, so, all right. So a, a hefty amount from, from murdering all of those those living things. <laughs> <laughs> this is awful man this is really awful uh and so that's kind of where we leave off the first episode actually it leaves off on a cliffhanger where he's kind of like wandering around and he notices like a shady dude pulling a, a girl that looks like she's in distress and so he he bumps into her to read her mind and and she's being kidnapped and so he follows them and and hit he tries to scan the dude to see what his stats are and realizes that that dude's power or unique quality must be that his stats can't be scanned. That's the worst power ever. Oh my God. And that's the, that's how the first episode ends. Wow. Um, I, I mean, I don't know. I feel like, uh, obfuscation, uh, can, can have its benefits, right? Sure. But, that's extraordinary. I mean, you mean as a power, as a power in this yeah. fantasy world? Well, okay, no. Unique traits are different from powers. They're explicit about that. Okay, so everybody's born with two two things, two inherent qualities. Uh, no, no. Everyone's in. Everyone is born with a unique trait, but whether or not like it's a cool or good thing uh, seems to be a toss up. Like he just thought like that his trait was that he was hungry all the time. And that was normal to people that he explained it to. Okay, so everyone's born with, like, horrible quirks. Yeah, basically. Everybody's a mutant. Uh, unless your mutant power is, like, one of the cool powers that lets you shoot lasers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah. basically, everyone's a mutant. Uh, but I would say, like, 90% of the mutants are just, like, benign. It's like, if X-Men, but... Most of the mutants at the school just had tumors. Well, most of the kids at the school were like the ones that couldn't pass, right? Isn't that that was the whole idea? Is that you needed a place for the the mutants that 
couldn't pass as humans. Well, it, it was for the ones that couldn't pass or the ones whose powers were too dangerous to be left unattended. Yeah, yeah. So you have to imagine, in X-Men world, I mean, like, a lot of people are mutants. They just, like, either never even notice or they can totally hide it. I mean... I'm not. I'm sure that uh, we're not the first person to bring up that point well, about I mean, X Men. No, I, I would say that's that is very explicit in X Men, right? Yeah. I mean, imagine the one. I think I read something, some manga a while back that was very much like this. But like, imagine. Oh yeah, this is like in Agen Demihuman, uh, where certain people uh, are born as immortals, uh, but you don't get to find that out until you die, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, yeah, unless you unless you encounter uh, a life-threatening situation and then you don't die, how would you know? Exactly. So you have to die to find out, and most people don't do that. Uh, so you'd never find out. So there's just a bunch of uh, unwitting immortals out there that don't know it yeah, yet? Yeah, exactly, exactly. There's no other way to tell. See, that's a pretty fun... I like that. That's a fun concept. Uh, Agin Demihuman. Uh, pretty good. It, it gets a little uh, edgy for its own good in the back half. Um, but I still like it. I it Agin's good. Uh, this sounds very bad. Yeah, no, this sucks. I hated it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> now, can you explain <laughs> to me the, the rationale behind uh, just tossing this one on? Well, I was looking for something to watch and it was one of two titles on the uh, totally legal and cool streaming website that I watch anime on. Yeah, cr- Crunchyroll. Yeah. Cron- yes. cr- crunchy, crunchy, cr- crunch, roll. crunchy roll. Crunchy roll. Uh, they had a you know top nine anime list over to the side, and and this and the Demon Sword Master of Excalibur Academy. Oh yes, right. Yeah. Of course. How could you forget the Demon Sword Master of Excalibur Academy? It's so hot right now. It's number four on this list. Yeah, and that's not a mouthful at all. Yeah. Uh, and so this was just below that, and I had to I had to give it a shot. I want to know uh, what's out there. Now I did I did spend quite a long time uh, talking last episode about how Pluto is an extraordinary masterpiece and should be immediately watched uh, by anyone. And you said, "Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm gonna watch uh, Berserk of Gluttony instead." <laughs> Listen. I don't need to explain <laughs> how my self-hate manifests to you or to anyone yeah. out uh-huh. there. Uh-huh. I'm I'm just I'm just trying to follow my heart, man. And and in this particular case my heart wanted to watch Berserk of Gluttony. Is that so <laughs> not wrong? Even, not in this particular case. I I seem to remember many such cases. <laughs> This seems to be an ongoing behavioral pattern for you. Listen, someone, <laughs> one of us, one of us has to be out there sorting through this trash. I guess that's true. How can I argue against that? Uh, I'll be the one who watches good stuff. You'll be the one who watches bad stuff. Listen, if uh, if that's if that's how it has to be, so that these dear, beautiful listeners will know what's good and what is bad in an objective and true and legal format, <laughs> uh, then that's what I'll do. But I'm committed to this. I, I still end up watching a lot of bad stuff, though. So why is, why is that? Well, that's on you. I'm not telling you to do that. Yeah, also, you did complain quite a lot when I asked you to watch uh, your Punishment Fate series. I seem to remember uh, you calling them awful. Oh, yeah, they suck. And I hate it. Yeah. And I watched them uh, until I couldn't anymore. Yeah. Which was very fast. <laughs> like like four or five episodes, I was out. Yeah, you, you should finish those. 
You should really finish yeah, those. Why are you pushing those on me? Why? I really, I really want you to finish those. They've, if if if, if you if you can watch an episode of Berserk of Gluttony, you can finish at least one Fate series. Okay, fine. I don't get it though, but fine. Uh, I will watch it just so that we can discuss what you see in this. Yes, thank you, thank you. Okay, let's take a break before I start yelling at you at this shit. All right. Okay, folks, so we've uh, argued enough. I've beaten Nate into submission, so I think it's time to come back and talk about uh, something that uh, is not bad and is, in fact, very good. (laughs) Uh, Nate, let's talk about JoJo, because you've Uh, recently went on a, a little bit of a JoJo journey, right? I wouldn't say recently. I've been kind of going on this JoJo journey for several years now. Right, yes, but you've reached uh, an interesting inflection point in your JoJo journey. Yes, well, I've I haven't been reading the manga. I watch, you know, I've watched all of the anime so far, and uh, I went and I watched the uh, Takashi Miike adaptation of Diamond Is Unbreakable Part One. Hell yes, and this is a this is a Takashi Miike house. We respect Takashi Miike in this house. Takashi Senpai. This is a pro Miike space. So you finally watched it. I did. We had been kind of putting these off. Uh, we had really been sparse on our, our our live action adaptation beat. But you finally watched another one. I did. Uh, you know, I was bored uh, one stormy Sunday evening. <laughs> Uh, and I thought, you know, why not? Let's see. Uh, I I hadn't had enough after Ichi the Killer. Let's see what he's cooking with JoJo. Wait, hold on a second. Did you finish watching Ichi the Killer? I don't want to talk about that right now. (laughs) Did you ever go back and watch the rest of that movie? (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, no. I told you I didn't want to talk about it. Oh, my God. Now, I'm mad again. I'm mad again. Fine. We won't talk about it. Oh, my God. I'm so mad at you. See? See what I have to deal with, folks? I'm, this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, people would be really sympathetic to you in this scenario. <laughs> yes, totally. Tell, tell me about JoJo, you bastard. <laughs> uh, I didn't know what to expect. Like, okay, yeah, no so... Yeah, no shit. You haven't even finished one of his movies. <laughs> 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 okay go go okay can i go 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 i didn't know what to expect you know how do you adapt something like jojo let alone diamond is unbreakable which is like really the start of when araki starts getting into like the weirder concepts for stands and and how they battle you know, we, we get a little bit of it near the end of Stardust Crusaders, but that, for the most part, is still, like, a battle anime about beefy ghost men fighting each other. 
right? Yes. It, for the most part, Stardust Crusaders doesn't need multiple chapters just to explain how one person's stand powers work. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. That's, that's a very succinct way to put it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In Diamond is Unbreakable, right off the bat, we are set with, you know, Josuke's crazy diamond stand. And and his power set is ill-defined and amorphous at best, I would say, <laughs> uh, in the anime. Let's say it, it continuously evolves. Yes. Well, that... Yeah. I mean, I would say that's uh, almost a, a thematic quality of it, right? Well, of all the JoJo's, really, when you think about it, uh, that's kind of their defining trait, is their, their stands level up for some reason. They continue to get better. Yeah. yeah. And they usually have some kind of, like... Uh, you know, ultimate form that they attain at the end at the end of their arc. <laughs> yeah, their third evolution. Yeah. And so Crazy Diamond is like as far as okay, tell me if I'm if I'm missing stuff, but basically he, its main power is that it can destroy and then return to uh the original state of of things that it interacts with. Yeah. It's sometimes it's portrayed like he can rewind physical objects into a previous state. Sometimes it's portrayed like he is healing the object. Mm -hmm. It really depends on the context because it is not consistent at all. One of the iconic scenes from the beginning of that of that arc that they do in the movie is, you know, Josuke's mom is being held hostage by the murderer or maybe it was just a thug. <laughs> Anyway, he, <laughs> he punches his mom through her chest. Yeah, it's so cool. To get at the hostage taker and then uh, selectively heals her and punches him, which is very yeah, cool. Yeah, that's some 80s action movie shit. So, so right off the bat, this is the one where we're getting into the kind of the more out there stuff. And it's, I mean, I, I love Takashi Miike. We love Takashi Miike. <laughs> <laughs> Uh-oh, here it comes. I didn't think the CGI looked good. CGI is uh, weird. It's rough in a way that is truly distinct from the way bad CGI was in the West, which I find very interesting. You know, it's CGI from the early 2000s. When was it? Mid-2000s? 2011. 2011. Yeah. End of the 2000s. <laughs> the, uh, the other, and this is the only other major criticism I had about it, was that the adaptations of the costumes, which, I mean, JoJo is all about the fashion, right? Oh, yes. The visual flair that is in JoJo is, I would say, cannot really be found anywhere else, at least in anime that I've seen, at least not in the levels that we see it in <laughs> JoJo. There is nothing that looks quite like JoJo uh, on many levels. Yeah, I would say uh, Oda uh, in One Piece, like he he has a real eye for for some interesting character designs, uh, you know, real loud stuff. Oh, sure. You know, he's not afraid to to give somebody uh, a feather python or a feather boa. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but he is, of course, from the Saturday morning cartoon school of fashion design. Uh, where all fashion has to be in, uh, indicative of your character quality. Well, yeah, and also it's like, whoa, that guy's wearing one color on one side and another color on the other side. Whoa. <laughs> uh, whereas, uh, you know, Araki is doing Paris Fashion Week. I, I mean, what it boils down to is that Araki 
understands that the absence uh, of of clothing, the absence of material is just as important uh, as, <laughs> as the overall outfit. Oh, yes, he does. Yes, he does. Listen, in, in his own immortal words, the point of JoJo was always about drawing beautiful men, and he sticks to that through and through, uh, even, in, even in Stone Ocean, where the cast <laughs> is mostly women. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's extraordinarily successful at it, too. I mean, the man can follow through. So I guess what I'm saying is that the, the live-action you know, interpretations of their outfits by necessity it could not be as outlandish uh, while still remaining any sense of functionality uh, with being a live action, with perceiving it as live action. Does that make sense? Yes. I think as much as I love Mika, and I will not say a bad word uh, about the man, there are very few filmmakers I could think think of that could nail the costuming that would be truly appropriate for a jojo movie i mean that is a huge huge task and just 99 percent of you know productions are gonna are gonna whiff on that one Uh, which is a shame because again it, it was one of my favorite concepts you know about jojo qualities and and to that josuke's whole character design is one of my favorite jojos (laughs) He's so cool. Uh, you know, those two points aside, uh, I like the movie. Uh, I think it's a, a very weird take on on the start of Diamond is Unbreakable because they kind of, uh, the whole serial killer subplot, I feel like that got rolled in from something that happened later in, in the anime slash manga, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely a compression, but... I I feel like that is a pretty natural move for an adaptation like this. Well, what I what I really liked was that, uh, and this is skipping ahead, but the movie ends with kind of the introduction of Killer Queen, right? Yeah. And so we're already skipping a lot. You know, the the main plot of the movie is Josuke meeting uh, what's his name, weird little dude. With the with the egg stand. Oh yeah, the horrible little man. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I do forget his name every time. Yeah. Uh, anyway, they they meet up and and they basically carries through the arc where where he meets the the two brothers that have like the weird <laughs> fucked up mutant dad. <laughs> oh, his name is Koichi. Koichi, right. yeah, right, little right, Koichi. Right, right. Oh, the other little fucked up guy is called Shigekiyo. <laughs> uh, Shigekiyo, yeah. And it, but the movie kind of carries through that very first arc that kind of introduces us to the stand arrow, right? Yes. And we've kind of truncated this in the film to where it, it appears that... Um, Kira. Yeah, Kira. The killer, Kira. It's kind of truncating to where Kira is now directly uh, responsible for, you know, using the stand arrow. I'm assuming what they're going for is that he's kind of creating stand users to throw shade on on his own serial killer. Uh, yeah, well, uh, you know, you remember in Diamond is Unbreakable, uh, his dad has the arrow uh, or his ghost dad or whatever. That was a really weird s- sequence. Right. I totally forgot about his ghost dad. His ghost dad. And, you know, it's, what's great, too, is like... Man, I love JoJo. Yeah, JoJo's fucking great. Diamond is Unbreakable introduces Rohan Kishibe. Mm-hmm. Uh, now tell me, because I can't remember, does he make it into the movie? He's not in the movie, no. 
Oh. No, we, the movie ends pretty abruptly with, uh, oh, what's the other, their other friend's name? O- Okuyasu. Yeah, uh, with Okuyasu and his brother. And Okuyasu's now on their side and they defeat his brother. Right. And then the movie ends with Killer Queen's little bomb drone coming in and blowing up the brother. Uh, and that's where we right. leave off. Right. And what I was trying to say is that I like this idea that that the movie is kind of setting up this whole serial killer subplot with Josuke's grandfather kind of being like the hard-boiled retiring detective trying to bring this guy down and they have yeah. like a history together. Uh and then that dude just dies like halfway through the movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh and then we're doing stands. <laughs> It stands, baby. Yeah. And then we once again bring back this serial killer element by reintroducing Kira now, who is, you know, a serial killer. Like, that's that's his role. And I would call Diamond is Unbreakable overall, like, a serial killer, like, mystery story. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. we were talking about Alan Wake being sort of derivative of Twin Peaks, but, like, a lot of people say Diamond is Unbreakable and the town of Morio uh, which comes back a lot, uh, uh, like in weird places in in JoJo uh, history, is sort of riffing on the on Twin Peaks as well. Though, in Araki's case, um, he, he does things a little different, <laughs> and so we are dealing with uh, not just like a serial killer, but like the craziest supernatural phenomena you could possibly imagine. You know, if they had continued making these movies, at some point they would have had to address the literal shape-shifting alien that shows up. Well, do they have to address it? Again, I feel like by calling this part one and then, you know, being very poignant at the end about saying like, all right, we're bringing in Kieran now because... I remember that the stand era was originally introduced by uh, whichever villain had the electricity stand, right? That kind of had like a bird face and it could travel through power lines. Uh, well, the original Arrow introduction happens in Stardust Crusaders. Well, yes, yes. Yeah, by the old granny. Yes, I'm talking about its introduction in not the era's introduction, but the scene where Okuyasu brothers, his brother dies. You know, uh, right. he gets yeah. killed uh, from basically off screen by a mysterious assailant. And and in the movie, that is Killer Queen slash Kira. Uh, but in the manga and anime, it was someone else, uh, another villain that they later defeat and then uh, goes on to, uh, you know, connect them to Kira. Because Kira is he's trying not to get found like that's his main motivation he just wants to live a simple clean life well occasionally you know uh killing some people yeah which you know there's nothing wrong with that i, I agree with that <laughs> yeah you're into that yeah <laughs> i i wonder i mean do we know why they never made a part two uh i'm gonna say it did not make its budget back <laughs> i'm i'm pretty sure about that uh, but I, I, I actually don't know, because obviously JoJo is like an extraordinary smash hit. I think maybe it's, it's just one of those things where, you know, the globalization of the film industry makes it very, very hard to make one of these massive franchise pieces without like international success. Right. Right. Uh, and I think JoJo just hadn't broken enough in 
like the US and Europe for uh, a continuation, uh, which is such a fucking shame. You'd think that Takashi Miike's involvement, like to begin with, would have been enough to push us over, but. Well, I mean, outside of people within the international film and like cult movie niche, how popular is Takashi Miike in the West? Well, okay, so like 90% of the film discourse where I heard Takashi Miike's name brought up it was almost always centered around like, oh yeah, Quentin Tarantino loves this guy. Like that's the extent of my experience with, with his reputation in the West. That's a very unfortunate uh, <laughs> uh, circumstance, I think, to, to find yourself in. <laughs> Newsflash, worst person you know likes the thing you like. I, I think it's more like, oh, Tarantino's talking about how much he likes you. I can't wait to see all of your best work show up in his movies. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, the blood spray in Kill Bill. That's all, that's all Mike. Oh, he, I mean, Tarantino steals uh, so much from Japanese film. You know, uh, Lady Snowblood alone accounts for a lot of Kill Bill. Uh, and Lady Snowblood, by the way, go watch that movie. Uh, it fucking rules so hard. Yeah, I, I think the problem for Takashi Miike maybe is exactly that kind of thing where he ends up being talked about as a cult director, right? Uh, which I feel like is uh not good <laughs> not good for your career i mean you know i looked it up and if we're talking about him like based by his body of work he's a tv guy well he's made a hundred million things yeah dude dude genuinely loves making movies uh, or maybe he doesn't maybe he he pathologically hates making movies but he's compelled to i think he has a mania you know, I think he can't not make movies. He's constantly doing it. He's like, uh, Hayao Miyazaki. <laughs> I've got to keep making movies or I have to address the fact I hate my son. Yeah, except um, Hayao Miyazaki doesn't make six movies a year. Uh, and direct three TV specials in between those. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Takashi Miike makes movies the way Stephen King wrote books when he was on cocaine. <laughs> yeah. He would publish tomes three times a year. Yeah. Nobody really did it like that. And nobody really does it like Takashi Miike in the film industry, except for like guys who work during the like the 40s to the 60s where they would just crank shit out, you know? Yeah. You know, Hitchcock like famously would just do stuff like he would just do grindhouse, the equivalent of grindhouse shit like in the 30s and 40s. He would just like do stuff and be like i don't care if it's successful or not i'm just i'm just doing this for the money and uh became uh one of the most celebrated filmmakers in history so i mean what does that say about takashi Mika? Uh, i think it speaks to the problems with the film industry as a whole rather than anything about any individual filmmakers yeah i don't know i like this jojo movie a lot <laughs> i like takashi Mika a lot i love this jojo movie i was devastated to learn that they were not going to make any more it's so fucked up how many terrible marvel movies exist and we do not have a sequel to jojo what is happening i mean if even one marvel movie had the style and ambition that the visuals of of a jojo chapter or episode does it would give me a glimmer of hope I still wouldn't watch them because they're they're stupid movies for dumb babies. <laughs> <laughs>
but but it would make me feel better about it, I guess, a little bit. Uh, I just love looking at JoJo, man. JoJo's great. <laughs> yeah, JoJo's great. JoJo's unstoppable. Yeah, I just finished up that Stone Ocean. Love me, Jolene. Top five JoJo's for me instantly. <laughs> Jojo, uh, Jolene is fantastic. I, I really love Jolene, and not just because like it's the first lady Jojo. Being locked up in the prison uh, is like so cool and weird. She's really hard to top, which is why uh, Steel Ball Run is like so impressive because it just cranks everything up in like a completely unexpected direction. I find it weird that you are not reading Jojo. I just like what? Why are you not on this? Well, I guess I got to start reading Steel Ball Run now that I that I finished. Uh, I've caught up with the anime. No, you need to go back to the beginning and like all go the way from at the there. beginning. Yes, I need to start at Phantom Phantom Blood. Yes. Well, I mean, look. Here's the thing, and you said this yourself many years ago. Like people quit when they start with Phantom Blood anime, right? Because they're like, "Ew, what is this?" Uh, and I don't begrudge those people because it the uh, both versions of phantom blood are are rough uh they are rough see i find that so weird because to this day and i love all of the jojo that i've watched so far uh i still really i really liked phantom blood like it's one of my favorite parts yeah me too but but then my experience is that i read all of the jojo stuff well not all of it i read phantom blood before i watched the anime for sure so I I didn't have that particular experience, but I've heard lots of people say they bounced hard off the way Phantom Blood looks. If we're talking about the manga, I can see that because that was obviously, you know, before Araki's style had evolved and he was pitching the comic at a time when his editors were saying, you know, we need something that is like Fist of the North Star. Because that's what's super popular right now. Uh, yeah, kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we need big beefy boys. Yeah, and boy do we ever. Yeah, and he's great at that. He's like, I can I can do that. Oh, I can do that. <laughs> oh, I can do that. I can do that for sure. And I think people get the wrong impression from the anime because they see sort of all the things that are wrong with that particular era of anime. And that's why I think people should read the manga first and then continue to read a manga and then read all the way to the issues that are releasing now. I mean, I'm just saying, like, if you want me to start reading Jojo, like, that's a commitment. Yeah, everybody says that. People say the same thing about One Piece, but it's like, bro, if you just start reading One Piece, you will not be able to put it down. I promise you. It will feel short. It does not drag. <laughs> it's a fucking page turner and jojo is too you will blast through jojo and you'll be like i can't believe there's not more jojo why is there not more jojo <laughs> i promise you well all right all right i guess i'll i guess i'll read jojo you read jojo uh handsome and beautiful listeners you also read jojo everybody should be reading jojo it's perfect let's get jojo so popular that uh, they have to make more live-action movies. Oh, yeah. I, I think that JoJo's Bizarre Adventure as a franchise could really use the boost from our listeners. Every uh, <laughs> uh, every dollar counts. I'm not saying we're not doing good work, but uh, are we? <laughs> are we doing good work? <laughs> we're doing work for sure. I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if I can answer the rest of that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. All right. Is that it for now? That feels like it's it. I think we can call it. Yeah. That's 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 a lot.
I'm glad you finally got through the JoJo thing. I'm glad you finally watched another live-action adaptation. We have more to get through, uh, including, like, four more Tomie movies, by the way. Are we, did we decide on doing all the Tomie movies? That's too much, man. <laughs> I'm going to do at least one more. How different can they get? How different can they get? I'm going to find out. I'm going to answer that question for myself. Okay. I've got one more lined up. I know we've got some more. You still got to watch that. Now that you've made your way through, well, one and a half Takashi Miike adaptations, you've still got to watch. <laughs> I'm never going to live that down. Blade of the Immortal. No, nor should you. Jesus Christ. You've got to watch Blade of the Immortal, which is uh, one that does not require a sequel. Completed story, which is great. <laughs> you love it when stories finish. I do love a story that finishes. And then, of course, you can watch Ace Attorney right after that. Uh, <laughs> you've got more to get through. I mean, did he do Ace Attorney? Yeah, he did Ace Attorney. Wow, okay. He did all the ones. I mean, he he really did. Most anime adaptations are done by Takashi Miike. He's just the guy. He's the man. Yeah. The vast majority of anime adaptations are Takashi Miike films. Let's say goodbye to our young and beautiful listeners. Okay. And encourage them to uh, check out the TikTok at Anime Death Spiral. All right. Oh, God. Doing the things. Uh, Please uh, harass Nate into doing more of the things. I'm begging you. I can't be the only one. He doesn't listen to me anymore, clearly. (laughs) I've grown beyond my chains. I've become sentient father. He's the goldfish getting too big for his bowl. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Okay. Oh, my God. Well, I'll try to watch some more anime for next time. I have a couple more things, new things. I was thinking about giving that Onimusha adaptation uh, an episode one, at least. Oh, Onimusha anime. Yeah, remember that game from, like, 20 years ago? <laughs> uh, you know, that's, uh, that that could be interesting. I, I would like to look into more anime adaptations of video games of games yeah we can we can maybe we'll make a list and we'll kind of talk about that but uh yeah but that blue eyes samurai i was thinking about watching some of that that actually looked kind of interesting yeah i don't know i think i have some other stuff on the docket but we'll talk about that on a different episode i don't know we'll find we'll find something to fill the void until the winter season kicks off (laughs) yeah like one of the incredible anime that are currently running that would be cool. <laughs> wow. Okay. All right. Let's let's get out of here. That's that's anime death spiral. You know what to do. Bye. Bye. Ha, 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 ha.